everyone. Thanks for joining us here on Call of the Week, the podcast where we talk to UT specialists about the questions they're receiving the most. And our guest today is Scott Stewart. Scott, the question you say you've been getting a lot of is about bollworm management. Seems like it may be a little late in the year for bollworm concerns. Is this is that accurate? Well, I'd say our bollworm flight for sure was a week to 10 days behind schedule, which has some benefits because what we're worried about is bollworm management in cotton. And as, if our, as our cotton gets more mature, it gets less susceptible to bollworm. And we uh, undoubtedly already have some fields that are mature enough that we would no longer recommend spraying them for bollworm. Well, what sort of pressure, mm-hmm. when, when we're talking about controlling cotton, what sort of pressure are you seeing um, from the bollworm on these BT technologies? It, well, overall, I'd say our pressure is uh, kind of like the bollworm moth flight, pretty scattered and, and pretty light. I, one of the things we're really challenged with right now is some of the BT technologies that we're growing don't work as well as they used to. And I think some previous podcasts, we talked about BT resistance management or BT resistance. The, the bollworms have developed resistance to some of the BT cotton technologies. Specifically, I'm talking about the old wide strike technology, Bolgard 2, which is very commonly grown in the state, and also Twinlink. It just doesn't do as well at controlling bollworms in, in those particular technologies. And uh, the reality is if we have much of a moth flight or a sustained moth flight, we're going to have to make insecticide applications on any cotton that's still susceptible. So the the three-gene cotton is still effective, though, against the bollworm? Yeah, yeah. Good question. Uh, we have Bogard 3 that's in the market. We have Wide Strike 3 that's in the market. Probably not very much in the state, but there's another product or varieties that have Twinlink Plus. Those all have a trait called the VIP trait, which does pretty darn good at controlling corn earworm. And I don't think you can assume anything, but based on my previous experience in Tennessee, it's very unlikely we would have to spray those technologies. One of the real challenging things we're dealing with those, we have increasing resistance to BT, and so we're really not quite sure where we're going. So things can change potentially pretty quickly. But right now I feel pretty pretty confident those Bogard 3s and Wide Strike 3s are going to hold up. And most of the phone calls I'm getting from people say are telling me that that's the case. Okay. So with the difference between the 2-gene and the 3-gene, are you having different treatment recommendations? Yeah, definitely. The recommendation would be quite a bit different because on the Bolgard 2 technology, for example, which a lot of people have planted, we would recommend treatment either based on egg lay, 20% or more of the plants having eggs, or 4% or more of the plants being infested with larvae. We also have thresholds that are based on percent damage fruit levels, uh, which can come into play. Uh, the only thing we do in we wouldn't worry about eggs in the three gene technologies because we expect that we'd see eggs in there, but presumably the small larvae would die. So we're only really interested in spraying if we're seeing surviving larvae in those three gene technologies. Sounds like there are a lot of variables for scouting for bollworm. <laughs> well, this is one of the real challenges I'm dealing with. You know, back when I started my career, we didn't have BT cotton and everybody scouted worms. That was really one of your primary pests, and it was a very kind of standardized approach how people scouted worms. And over the years with BT Technologies, we got spoiled, and we've lost some of our scouting ability. So you have some of the old timers around like me that still know how to scout worms the way we used to do it. Mm-hmm. You have new people that are just they're scouting a little bit differently. And I, I get everything when the phone rings. And you know, I'll give you an example. This uh, this morning, I had somebody call me up, and he said, "Well, I'm just looking at bloom tags, and, and bloom tags are where the flowers." dried onto the bowl. It's a favorite place for bollworms to start, especially in, in like a bollgard uh, two technology. And he said, 
About every 30 bloom tags I look at, I'm finding three or four bollworm. So should I treat? Well, we don't really have a threshold based on that. So I have to kind of logic my way through it because there might be multiple bloom tags on a plant, but I already know that he's looked at 30 plants with 30 bloom tags and he's found three worms. Well, our threshold, if you remember just a minute ago, I said was four worms per 100 plants. And he's looked at 30 plants and found three. And keep in mind, there's probably three or four bloom tags on every plant. So the reality is he's probably way above threshold, that 4% threshold. So I think that's all fine. People kind of can learn how to judge this themselves, but it does make communication uh, very challenging. And what's kind of important, unfortunately, is the timing of insecticide application. Mm -hmm. So we do want to detect damage very early on. We want to detect when we're having a moth flight and egg lay in, in small larvae. Otherwise, our insecticide control drops can uh, quite a bit. Okay. So, so just looking at bloom tags is not the, the way to do it. What do they need to be looking at? So really the standardized method, it's outlined in a lot of our, our literature, extension literature, would be that you'd look at X number of plants per field, and that does vary on field size, but very often it might be as many as 50, sometimes up to 100. And you go up to that plant and you examine the fruit in the top three or four nodes, and I'm talking about squares. You're looking for eggs, you're looking for larval damage, you're looking for the larvae themselves. And then often what you're going to do is you're going to go down to the center part of the plant and look at a small bowl in, in a bloom or two. But you're not necessarily looking at every fruit in the plant, but if you detect any damage, then you really start focusing. So by the end of that, if let's say you did 50 plants in a field and you found two worms of uh, anything other than the tiniest worm, you'd say, well, I've got 4% right there. So that's a number I can relate to. Another threshold that I do kind of like because I think it applies across a lot of different technologies is a fruit damage threshold. I think for somebody that's scouting their own or somebody that's new to the game, this is kind of a good backup threshold to make sure nothing's getting out of hand. And what we'd recommend is that you might go to a field and look at 50 medium-sized squares and 50 small and medium-sized bowls and keep track of the number of those that have uh, bollworm damage on them. And then we'd recommend treating anytime you had 6% damage of those 100 fruit or 3% bowl damage. It seems to work pretty well. We validated in our plots. You are kind of chasing a little bit so you can be a little bit behind but people are, tend to be a lot better at scouting that. It's pretty simple. You go get 50 squares and 50 bowls, and as long as you know what you're looking for in terms of a bollworm damage, right. it's hard to mess that up. But what does that bollworm damage look like? Well, uh, it depends how big the worm is. Mm -hmm. So when it's a bit, little tiny worm, and they very often will feed underneath a bloom tag or inside a pink bloom or inside a small square, they'll eat a tiniest little hole in that, in that square, and a lot of times you'll see where it's extruding its poop or actually the, the square is kind of bulging out. Sometimes you'll see grazing on the surface. It's really easy when they get to be fourth, fifth instars because often they're in a great big bowl and it's an inch-long worm. The problem is that worm's very difficult to control and it's already done most of its, its damage. So uh, that's one of the reasons we tell people really focus in the terminals looking for small worms and also under bloom tags in pink blooms because that's very often where those small larvae are located. Okay, so if you can detect it early, uh, what insecticides have you seen that are doing well to control this? Well, pretty much everybody in the Mid-South and the Southeast would recommend as their top products a pro uh, either Prevathon or a product called Besiege. 
And the primary active ingredient is the same. They both have a uh, active ingredient called chlorantranilipurol. It's a long one, um, but it's it's very similar products. They have a different use rate. Uh, and the reason we're doing that is because they have a long residual control. They provide long residual control. And also because we're seeing resistance in bollworm, not only to the BT technologies, but also the pyrethroid insecticide. So they're no longer working as well. Uh, we could talk about rates. I don't want to get into uh, too many specifics. I think most people are pretty familiar with the rates on those those products, but that's the go-to. And probably the only time I would ever deviate from those products would be in special circumstances. And those circumstances might be maybe you only need to protect that crop for another five to seven days uh, because it's maturing. And besides that, you don't have just tons of pressure. You might have enough to treat, but you don't, you're not swamped. Mm -hmm. But anytime I had a lot of pressure or I needed to protect the crop for seven, 10, 14 days, I'm going to personally recommend products like Prevathon or Besiege. If you're very late in the window, again, you could look at something like a, a acephate orthene mm -hmm. plus a pyrethroid. Uh, there's another product called Intrepid Edge. I, I think they could be used, but I'm not going to recommend that very often. Okay. Yeah. Well, like we said, we're recording this on August 13th. How much longer is do we need to be really on the lookout for the, the uh, bollworm? That's a great question because, like I said, some of our earliest cotton's probably past caring right now. In fact, mm -hmm. I know it's past caring. It's accumulated enough heat units. It's bloomed at the top. The moths probably aren't even going to be very attractive to it. Un unfortunately, as the later crop starts maturing, those moths are going to funnel into there. So given the date, it's really important to remember that in Tennessee, if you look at the average temperature, at temperatures over 100 years, the what we call the last effective bloom occurs about August 10th to August 15th. So what that means is the last bloom that's likely to get enough size on it, has a bowl to make it into the picker, is going to be set somewhere in that 10th to 15th range. So you have to and that's only a 50% chance, by the way. We're trying to race a, a frost, essentially, is what we're saying. So that's kind of complicated. Mm -hmm. But really, what I'm telling you is by August 15th, that flower that's present is, is the only one that has a realistic chance on most years to make it into the, into the picker. And you need to protect that flower until it's about a three-week-old bowl. So as a rule of thumb, if you're spraying after September 5th, 6th, 7th, you're really gambling because those those fruit are probably that you're trying to protect are very likely going to either be hit by a frost or, or just drop off. Uh, so this is a complicated decision as you look at it. You have to look at the maturity of the crop, but you also have to look at when frost dates are likely to occur. But on late maturing cotton, and we have a fair amount this year, it's very conceivable you could spray up through the end of August for the next couple of weeks anyhow on that later maturing crop. Okay, so a lot to do in the next few weeks. Any last advice before we close out? Well, I, I guess my last advice is you really do need to scout. I get a lot of calls of concern because somebody's finding this or their neighbor's finding that, and and I, it starts some wildfires some, sometimes. So I, I really think you need to scout, and if you don't have a scout looking at your cotton, you're probably behind the eight ball a little bit. You know, scouting worms is, is not easy, and, and until we move into technologies that we can trust for worm control, you need to have a professional looking at that crop and, and making a decision. And, and that professional needs to show up probably twice a week at this time of year to really make that decision. 
the guys that really get in trouble year in and year out are the ones that are kind of waiting to hear what's happening at the coffee shop. And, and I hate to say it, but it, it tends to be the same guys that are reluctant to spray the more expensive products that might be better. And that may be one of the reasons they haven't hired a professional crop consultant. Uh, but it is kind of kind of the case. You know, one thing we haven't talked about is non-BT cotton. And there's probably less than a few hundred acres in the state, and that's why we don't do it. But, you know, if you're growing non-BT cotton, you know, you just you got to have somebody. you got to be much more aggressive with your, your worm control. And I, you know, I think people don't understand how low our treatment thresholds are. When you're talking 4% infested plants and you're looking for tiny little worms, it just doesn't take a whole lot to trigger a treatment. Sure thing. Well, Scott, we appreciate you being here. It looks like we're about out of time. Um, of course, utcrops.com has all of these resources that Scott talked about if you need to go back and review anything that he mentioned. We thank you for listening, and we will talk next week. Mm-hmm.